Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Vox Media is looking for a full-stack engineer. Wattime is looking for a software engineer for clean energy. NASDAQ is looking for a product designer. And Buffer is hiring for several roles, front-end developer, product creator, marketing engineer, data analyst, and customer researcher. Gravity Tank is looking for an interaction designer. And Revision Path is looking for staff writers. So check out the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs and find your next job today. And if you're looking for more jobs, then become a member of our Slack community and join the jobs channel. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I want to talk about our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. MailChimp is the best software out there for sending marketing emails, automated messages, and targeted campaigns. Join more than 10 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 600 million emails every day. Sign up today at MailChimp.com. When you have a great idea, you want to secure a great domain name for it, and that's where Hover comes in. Hover makes it easy for you to find the domain name that you're looking for and get it up and running with no hassle and no heavy-handed upselling. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use our promo code REVISIONPATH and save 10% off your purchase. Now we have a bit of an announcement here. We have a big new sponsor for the show, Facebook Design. Now, you've heard of Facebook, right? I'm sure, you know, huge website, over a billion people visit it every day. But do you know about Facebook Design? Facebook Design isn't just about building one product, you know, Facebook.com, or solving one type of design problem. They design for a huge swath of audiences over a number of different industries. Not only that, Facebook invests in building and teaching designers using the best tools for the job, and they care about the broader design community and giving back. So if you want to learn more about what Facebook design does, make sure you check them out on Medium at medium.com forward slash Facebook design. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. We're up to 33 patrons right now for a combined total of $224 per month. Again, a huge thanks for everyone that has already pledged their support and appreciation for the show. We had a lot of patrons come through this month. I really, really appreciate that. So if you want to become a patron of Revision Path, get access to some great perks like special giveaways. We've got a, a book giveaway that's coming up in March, early access to future episodes, and free Revision Path swag. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge levels start at just $1 per month and it's a really great way to support the show on a regular basis. Are you a part of our Slack community? We started our Slack community last month, I'd say about a month or so ago. Um, and if you haven't joined already, you should totally join in. There's some really great, lively conversations that are going on there. So head over to revisionpath.com forward slash Slack to sign up for an invite. 
you can come and talk with me and other Revision Path supporters. We've got a music channel. We've got channels for coders and designers. We've got a critique channel where people are posting works and we're talking about it and helping them grow as designers. Uh, we've got our jobs channel that I mentioned uh, just a little bit earlier. Uh, it's really great. So again, revisionpath.com forward slash slack. Come through and say hey. Now for this week's interview, I talked with Diane Holton, Editorial Art Director at AARP. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, I am Diane Holton, and I'm an Editorial Art Director um, at AARP. And I also have a side hustle, because I believe in side hustles. I'm a Windows display artist at The Gap here locally in Washington, D.C., Nice. I want to talk about that that side also, and we'll get to that in a bit. But let's talk about AARP because I don't know if that's really a brand that people would associate with design, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, like any organization, you know, you have you either have an in-house team or you have a team that you commission to do the design for all the collateral. And if you're like AARP, we actually have a brand team, an in-house brand design team, but we also have an editorial team because we produce publications. And so I am on the editorial side of AARP. My role as art director on the editorial side is really just to push out the publications, design for the publications. We have the highest, AARP has the highest circulation. Uh, We have about 37 million members. And so, yeah, it's impressive. We're the world's largest publication. And our audience is catered, we cater to the 50 plus demographic. A lot of people say 55 or 65, it's 50. But we have what, we have two publications, AARP the magazine, which is more lifestyle. And then we have AARP the bulletin, which is more like a, um, it's not a news- newsletter, it's, it's more like a, a newspaper, a tabloid mm-hmm. newspaper. Um, again, going to the same amount of, uh, same number of readers, or members, excuse me, 37 million. But again, I'm more affiliated with the, with the lifestyle publication, which usually features a celebrity and has a lot of service, for, but it's more featurey and just a little more laid back. My design for print, as well as for tablet, we have a tablet edition that we rolled out probably two years ago. And so my job essentially is to oversee certain departments throughout the, mm-hmm. the publication and then to turn around and design it's equivalent for tablet, for the mobile device, to include interactivity. And then lately we've been taking on the past, I would say the past two years, our team has taken on um, special projects that don't include editorial publications, or actually it includes, it's with publications, it was birthed out of publications, but it's not, it's one of those things that could sometimes might be seen as maybe being a brand kind of mm-hmm. um brand kind of work but the fact that it's coming out of editorial and it was birthed out of editorial is the reason why we are we work on it and i think we do an excellent job with that Um, but we do work with our brand department you know making sure that everything is 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 in the arp vein and the reason why i say that is because the editorial department is responsible for one of the one of the initiatives that we do every year which is called movies for grown-ups and actually in two weeks we're going to have a um award ceremony that's going to feature some some really amazing celebrities who have who have done great work as 50 plus movie stars so that's one of the initiatives that was birthed out of, out of editorial and for that reason editorial is really you know the design team is really behind some of the marketing for it some of the the marketing for the awards 
luncheon and for the award show that's taking place. And we also were behind Boomers at 50 Plus, which is an initiative, again, that came out of the editorial side. We have a fabulous editorial director, and she is she's progressive, and she comes from the magazine industry in New York, and she's mm-hmm. really on the pulse of you know what's going on in the magazine world or in the publication world. And so she's brought her knowledge to AARP to help improve our our not I don't want to say collateral because that's more of a brand thing, but our our image within within the publication sector. So I say all that to say that she's created some some really great franchises and also helped elevate some franchises that we already have to make the things again just make ARP a little sexier or glam or I don't want to say glamorous but more appealing to the fifty plus demographic because ARP in the past has had like a has had a negative I shouldn't say that though. ARP comes at, with some people comes across as maybe old and stodgy, and the truth yeah. of it is, it's not. You know, it's actually we're actually doing really great things, and we are very progressive. And I think you don't see that unless you are in that demographic, right? Unless you are fifty plus. I mean, if you're in your twenties, you're not going to see it. You're you're going to start seeing it now with ads that are rolling out via our brand department. But if you're not 50 plus, you're not getting the publications. You're not getting the collateral material that's being sent out. So you're only seeing what, you know, comes, maybe came across your grandmother's desk, you know, years ago or your parents, you know, years ago. But Mm -hmm. once you become a member, you'll see that there's a lot of great information, a lot of great service. And again, it's not old and stodgy. I mean, we are changing the way people think about aging. We're disrupt aging. We're showing you that, you know, you don't have to, just because you turn 50, the world doesn't stop. Life goes on. You can re-career. You can really blossom. You can become healthy. You know, like there's just a lot of things that, that ARP has their eyes on and are attuned to. And I'm part of the team to help flush out, you know, those ideas. One of again, another one of our initiatives is the Boomers Boomers at Fifty, which was last year, and we did a series of events and traveling exhibits, and partnered up with PBS to do in the museum to roll out an exhibition, all geared towards Boomers, you know, because the last Boomer was last year. So at any rate, working at ARP is fun. Uh, it's always something new and different to tackle, mm-hmm. and also on the flip side. We also have a lot of reoccurring content that we have to focus on regularly. And so it's always a challenge to come up with another way to visually storytell that. And I think at first I thought, oh, this is going to get old, you know, after you do it the first couple of times, you know, talking about Social Security. But it actually makes you sharper and stronger as a designer because you can't do the same thing over and over and over again. So just like designers who work in a newspaper who have, who maybe work in the business section, right? They're always, their subject is money. It's always money. Every day it's money, you know, it's money, it's business, it's strategy. And every day those designers have to think about how to visually storytell that content. And it can get old, but if you're good and you're willing to stretch your mind, you can figure it out, you know, and have something that's really, really cool. So walk me through what a typical day is like for you at AARP. It sounds like you handle so much stuff and your hands are in a lot of different types of ventures there. It's a lot. Um, it can be a lot. I would say the first, well, it kind of depends on where we are in the cycle, right? So again, our membership is 37 million. We have two publications. I work on, on the magazine for the most part. Because we come out six times a year, we are constantly, six times a year and then 
version each one of those issues three times, we are constantly in production, right? So if I'm working on, if I'm concepting an issue right now, the next issue, then I'm also closing an issue. And I'm closing like the third edition of that last issue, if that makes sense. We version each issue into age. So from 50 to 59, 60 to 69, 70 to 79. Depending on your age determines what issue you get. And the reason why they do that is tends to be because advertisers want to cater to a specific demographic. Like we, they, they really sometimes want to hone in just on the 70 plus. And that makes sense because stuff that appeals to 70 plus doesn't, may not necessarily appeal to the 50 audience or the 60 audience. So we version mainly for that reason. And when we do it, we do, we can't do it all at the same time. So we, as designers and as an editorial department, we focus on each demographic one at a time. So like I said, when I come in, it just kind of depends on what I'm working on what I'm closing. A lot of times I'm always thinking about, we're always thinking about, you know, future issues. So I'll come in, like for instance today, and close out this last issue, the the 70 plus, but I am going to be full steam ahead in the next issue. Right now we are looking at comping layouts and running them upstream to our editor-in-chief, working on color. I'm always color correcting with our color department. Um, even though we print out, um, outside of ARP, we have a team, a quality control team that's here on the premises. So my day today or this week was was all about closing an issue, which usually takes two weeks for the, the 60 and 70 editions. Um, so closing an edition, working on layouts for the next edition, and then the special projects that come in. <laughs> and so I wrapped up a special project that included um, an awards program actually just an hour ago. So I constantly am juggling work and just trying to prioritize like what's what's needed. But thankfully, we have an editorial production manager who helps every designer and every editor prioritize their day because there are so many things. And you get pulled away for various reasons throughout because of the association. There's always brainstorming going on, always other ideas coming from other departments that you know you need to be part of. Um, to help flush out, flush out the vision. So I would say that while I c- come in to design, I don't, I can't always say that I'm going to be designing majority of the day because of all the things that p- kind of pop up. It makes for an interesting day and sometimes a long day because, you know, as designers, you want to, you want to focus, you want to be able to focus on your work. And sometimes you just, you know, there's just so much going on that you can't really get into a groove until like later on, or let me speak for myself. I can't get into a groove until later <laughs> on in, in the evening or the afternoon, evening, a little all over the place. I also help manage freelancers. And right now our staff is down a couple of people uh, due to various health reasons, uh, health issues and new baby and some other things. And so I'm helping to manage uh, the freelancers that we have on staff and also the intern. We like to have an intern, each one teach one, right? So we have an intern that is in from UMD, University of Maryland. And so it's just like making sure that she's working, she's focused, and that she's getting the attention that she needs. I think that's it. <laughs> I feel like wow. I feel like that's my day. <laughs> so with all of that that you're doing, I know you also do a ton of of volunteer work, and I want to touch on that, of course. I know you're through AIGA because we're both on AIJ's Diversity and Inclusion Task Force, but you're a member of other big professional organizations like NABJ, Society of News Design, Society of Publication Design. Where does that, that I guess, 
altruistic streak come from? Is this something that you've always had, this feeling of, of giving back and volunteering? Yes, but I'm going to say that it actually comes from my parents. Okay. More so my mom, I think. My mom's side of the family is a very giving family. My grandmother, my mom, my great-aunt um, were all teachers. My grandmother and my, my grandmother and my aunt were teachers for 33 and 35 years, um, respectively, and they both taught special needs um, students. And so them, and then my mom also taught a little bit. She couldn't, because my dad was military, um, we, they moved around a lot, so she couldn't dedicate a ton of time to it, but she believed in, you know, she liked to teach and she believed in giving back and did a lot of volunteer work throughout her career when my dad was in the military. And even now, you know, now that he's out, she still gives back in that way. But I have to say that it came from my mom's side. My dad, don't get me wrong, he does do philanthropy, but not he didn't do nearly as much as my mom has. There's not a legacy there with that. Whereas on my mom's side, they believed in giving back. And even though it wasn't said, they just did. And so I think that's where I, I get it from. And my mom is a little all over the place, too, with her outreach and her own personal projects. And so I I'm almost positive the apple didn't fall far from the tree. I mean, I don't even think I fell from the tree. I think I'm still, I'm on a branch because um, <laughs> my mom is, uh, she does everything. You know, one minute, I remember growing up, you know, over the summer, she would learn basket weaving and she would, her and her friend, her and her good friend would, would basket weave in the garage, you know, through the summer. And then she would, you know, something else would pique her interest, like like quilting. And so then she would do a deep dive into quilting and she'd be all about that. And she would quilt and quilt and quilt and quilt. And then she would stop and, you know, she might be interested in like, um, and baking, learning how to make, make gourmet breads. And so she, then she would do that, you know, so like she was always doing something. And so I think that that my hustle definitely comes from that. And along with all of that, she was always giving back. Right. So she was, she was doing her, you know, Different things were sparking her interest, but then she was also she also had that giving back thread on the other side. So I would say all of that kind of funneled its way down to me, and and yeah, I, you had this person who has stream of consciousness in the form of like design and and crafting and stuff. Now, like you know, like you said before, doing a lot of this volunteer work and saying that that spirit really sort of came from your parents. Were they also really supportive of you getting into design? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Believe it or not, yes and no. My mom didn't mind. She wasn't really, she didn't really care. My dad was not so thrilled about the idea. He didn't understand graphic design and it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. He didn't understand, he, he knew what design was, but he didn't understand it. And I shouldn't say just graphic design, I think just design in general. It took a recruiter from the Virginian pilot to sit him down and, and break it down to him. And that took place I believe my junior year or my senior year, I guess it was my senior year of college when I was going on, when I was about to leave for an internship at the Virginia Pilot, which is based in Norfolk. And my dad had the opportunity to meet this man and they, they had a chat outside of, outside one day. Actually, no, maybe he brought him in. At any rate, they had a long lengthy chat. And by the end of the conversation, my dad understood like what I was doing, where I was going, and that I could make a career out of this if I chose. And so from then we didn't have any problems. But leading up to that, yeah, it was a little bit of a struggle. He didn't understand. He thought that it was, you know, if you're going to study design, you're going to be a starving artist. He just was, even though I went to school for graphic design, it still just didn't sink in with him. I went went to school for uh, graphic design and print management. I think he thought that I was going to go into printing. 
and production. And that's something he could completely understand. But the design part, he didn't, it just didn't register with him. But after he talked to that recruiter, he was good. You know, he, I, I was endorsed. I was A-OK. And that was, like I said, I think that was my senior year. And from there, I, again, I had no problem like getting internships and having his complete buy-in. My mom was always creative, like I said. So she was just like, do what makes you happy, you know? And so that's what I did. And, uh, and, and here I am. I will say, though, I was a little bummed out because when I was in school, when I was in high school, I was in Berlin. Germany. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do in my career or in the future. And so I knew that both my parents went to Florida A&M. So I said, you know what, I'm not going to look anywhere else. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go to Florida A&M. And especially because I thought that initially I thought that I might want to go to an art school, but I didn't know what I wanted to do in an art school. So I didn't really focus on it. But when I brought it up to my dad, he wasn't gung ho about going to an art school. Again, he thought it was like that's something that starving artists that you're not going to make a career. So I said, well, okay, I already knew his mentality. So I said, you know, I'm just going to go to Florida A&M. They both went there. They both graduated. They both, you know, were successful in my eyes. I was like, it's, it can't be, it's not going to be bad. So I went off to Florida A&M and I thought, you know what, maybe while I'm here, since my mom majored in clothing and retailing, maybe I'll do that. So I actually was, design was not the, graphic design was not my first interest. It actually was clothing and retailing, maybe being a fashion designer or an illustrator or something like that. I knew it was something in that realm. But when I got to Florida a and I quickly realized, because again, I didn't do my research, that the program was no longer at the school. The, the, the degree my mom had majored in and graduated from was no longer there. It was actually at Florida State. And since my parents dropped me off at the school and I had no car, I thought I'll just stay here for a couple of years and then I'll transfer maybe to Florida State. I'll get a car and I'll, I'll, I'll transfer. But I ended up getting into the design program and I stayed and, you know, loved it, loved the people I met, loved the mentor I had and, and the internships I was doing. And I just kind of, I, I stayed, I don't look back. However, fast forward many, many years, I decided after, I decided after a period of time that maybe I should revisit fashion and I started looking at schools to go to, and I, I came across Parsons. They had a program, or they have a program now that's associate fashion marketing. And upon um, getting in, I had a conversation and taking like a couple classes. I had a conversation with my grandmother because I was really struggling one semester. And she informed me that my mom had wanted to be a buyer and that she had taken a job as a buyer and that she turned it down when she found out that my dad... Uh, that she was one going to marry my dad, and two that he was going to immediately be PCSing or relocating, you know, to a, a new state. And she had to decide whether or not she wanted to pursue buying, being a buyer. I believe for J.C. Penney's, which was still mean traveling the world, but apart from her husband, or be a military wife. And she opted to be a military wife and you know raise a family and travel the world with him. And that, I have to say, that was a moment where I was just like, what, wait, what, what happened? Like the world just stopped because I couldn't figure out why at that time that I was going to Parsons, why my mom was so into what I was doing. Like she wasn't just supporting like from afar. She was like in it, <laughs> you know, like I was there, like she was there with me, like we were taking classes together. I couldn't understand why she was like almost like living vicariously through me. And when my grandmother said that, I thought, oh, that's what it is. Okay. She is like, she feels like she missed that opportunity to like pursue, you know, this other career. And she could see that that's a track that I, I 
I want to take or I was interested in taking. And she wanted to make sure that, you know, she was there to support. So I was kind of pissy, actually, when I when I found out because it was years later and I couldn't understand why my mom didn't wouldn't share that with me, you know, early on. I never really got an answer, a good answer from her about that. But I feel like if she had shared her life, that life story, that bit with me early on, I think that would have changed one, what school I went to or and or what I did immediately after I graduated from FAMU, if that if I you know decided to um, to finish there. I want to talk about the D.C. design scene. Mm-hmm. You have, I think, your hands in a lot of things through the organizations that you work with, as well as the side hustle that you mentioned. <laughs> yes. What is the D.C. design scene like for you? D.C. design scene is uh, it's actually pretty cool. I think we have a lot going on. And, and as I talk to people from other chapters, I realize I, I took it for granted for a while. But I'm starting to realize that we're actually pretty cool. <laughs> I used to think that, you know, that we were just all government designers and and I'm not, I don't work for a government again. I work for an association. But I always thought, oh, it's just full of government designers and people who work at agencies that cater mm-hmm. to nonprofits and, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of uh, artisans. But the more I talk to other chapters, the more I read people from other chapters, I realize, wait, no, we have that and we have that and we have a big concentration of that. You know, it's it's actually pretty cool. It's big and it's diverse and it's diverse. And, and I say diverse. I'm not talking about color, but just all over the map. I mean, we have people mm-hmm. who are interested in a little bit of everything and a lot of designers who have side hustles and other stuff, which is kind of cool. So they might be a government designer by day, but they are like a letterer by night or something like that. We do have a good artisanal scene, you know, that handcrafting, hand lettering, screen printing. It's, it's great in that way. And then we have a big tech scene, male and female. And actually the female tech sector is growing. There's a collective called DC Femtech. And it's a it's a group of female tech leaders or female tech organizations. So it's like all the the DC, the, not all of them, but a good portion of the female tech associations, organizations, companies, agencies, whatever, are tapped into this collective. And they have representatives that come. You know, they meet and try to do collabs and try to really um, boost each other and support each other. So we have a, that we have that scene, and then we have this general tech scene, which is really great and strong. I mean, a lot of design has come out of DC. A lot of great design, a lot of innovative design has come out of out of DC, and that's exciting to see. And it's excited to be I might not be part of it but it's exciting to watch and to know people that are in it you know that are movers and shakers and then again we have like we do have a, a big um, in-house team because there are a lot of agencies like I said though they cater to nonprofits or the government there's still a lot of them here I feel like people who come here for design will always have a job <laughs> I mean I don't know I don't know too many people who are really struggling I think that we have there's a lot of freelancers but I think a lot of them are freelancer by choice you know, not because they've been put into a situation. So it's good. I mean, you can really get your hustle on here. And the scene is small enough that it's big enough, but small enough that you can get to know people and that you can, and you can meet people. So it's not like you have a lot of divas or people that, that you, there, you, there's a lot of access here. Let me just say that. Yeah. A lot yeah. of access. I'm always surprised by just how many events you all put on that are, are thoughtful events. Like there's panels, there's discussions, Things of that nature. I, I know, I mean, the few times that I've been to D.C., I know that there have been those types of events there. You serve on the board as their mentoring director. Is that mm-hmm. right? Talk to me about that role. Yes, yeah, so I've been on the board, the AIJ D.C. board for a little while. 
I can't quite remember how long, but, and I wasn't, <laughs> uh, they were to try to remind me every retreat. They're like, you've been, I'm like, I know, I know I've been on the board the longest. I got it. But there's a reason why I'm, I'm still on the board. I mean, it helps me one stay p- kind of plugged in to the mm-hmm. scene outside of publication design, right? It's so easy to get caught up in your niche and not know what's, what else is going on. So it's helpful in that way. But a couple of years ago, and I can't, again, can't put the number on it. I took on the role as the mentoring chair. And then that kind of, I kind of grew from that and took on another task, which another responsibility, which is the design continuum scholarship chair. So, so it's two, and they're equally as heavy <laughs> at times. But for mentoring, mentoring has been great. You know, it's always great to engage with other designers and to help lead them and to help help connect them to people who are interested in helping them or help, you know, and 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 that's been good. I feel a little bit like a teacher in some ways, but I also feel a little like a matchmaker. The mentoring programs that we run, two in particular, have been very successful. One is a mentoring speaker series with a local high school. And we've been, this high school is located in Alexandria, Virginia. So it's actually outside of DC because the AIJ DC services Northern Virginia, DC, and Southern Maryland. Okay. So it's not just DC proper, but this high school is located in Alexandria, Virginia, and they have a photography class and a graphic design class. And our role is AIGA DC brings designers of various dif- disciplines once a month to their school to do talks. And so it's a form of group mentoring. And it's, the, it's been well received by the school. It's something that I started, I'm going to say maybe three years ago. And even though leadership has changed at the school, the teachers have changed, the faculty has changed a little bit, they still want us to come. So every month we bring in either a Smithsonian lighting designer or maybe a broadcast broadcast graphics designer. We've had letterers come in, different people from agencies, so on and so forth. But we want to, or my goal with that program actually was to help expose students to careers and paths outside of what they know and what their teachers are telling them. I think when I look back, when I look back to when I was a high school student, I feel like my hustle grade was was strong, but I feel like I wasn't super knowledgeable about what was out there and the different careers. And I feel like Mm -hmm. the more you well round, I feel like if I had known what I knew (laughs) later, then that would have maybe helped influence me, maybe fight to go to art school with my parents, with my dad. So since there's so many of us designers here and so many people want to give back and the students are hungry for that, that knowledge, I figured why not just bring the, bring the designers to, to the school also allows the designers one to give back and two, to practice on the practice their oratorical skills, right? So for designers who are like, oh, I want to start presenting and start doing talks. Okay, well, here's the best, here, here, here's one, you know, handed to you because it's, mm-hmm. you already have the audience <laughs> and it's, it's like minds. So they're just young. So you can do all your trial and error there, but no, it's, it's been a good thing. The students are, they're hungry. They're excited. The teachers, you know, are even more excited because they, they don't, they're not practicing teacher, practicing designers, you know, they come and they teach and because of life and their schedules and stuff, they don't have the op- that opportunity to, to um, partner with the agency or anything. So they're equally as excited to have us, um, have us come. And then the other program that I run, I have a co-chair actually for this one, because there's no way that you could do all of this just by, with one person, um, is Shine. And that program actually launched five years ago. We're on our fifth season as we speak. It's a peer-to-peer program where we partner emerging designers who have one to, so one to four years of experience with established designers 
designers who have five years or more experience. And it is like Match.com or OkCupid or any of those other dating platforms. They fill out a survey. It has questions. And then they are matched with their, and it kicks off in January. And for, from January until May, they meet at their, they make up their own schedule. They make, make up their own schedule and meet whenever they like, however they like. They can meet at you know, somebody's office. They can meet at a museum, whatever they want to do. And then we provide, what we do is provide enrichment like throughout, right? So we, we'll give them tips and tricks every two weeks. We email, we have a midpoint event where it's a ha- usually a hands-on. Well, in the past, it's been hands-on. This last year, we actually did like a roundtable. We had roundtable discussions about career, career enhancement, career enrichment. And then we have a finale in which people showcase some of the things that they've done in the past, within the past four and a half months. And it's been really great because it's a peer-to-peer program with the intent being to um, help people reach their goals. It's not an area to, to look for a job. I mean, we, the mentors can help them, the mentees, like craft their resume and maybe do some pitches and their cover letter and all that stuff. But it's not set up so that they can get a job. It's not set up to, so that they can like meet their mate for life. You know, it's we're very clear about it. It's business, all business. And your mentor, we believe that your mentor is not supposed to be your friend. They are. It's all it's your mentor is supposed to be the person who's who's going to give you um, tough critiques and who's going to just give it to you straight and who, but who's also going to support you and, you know, and also try to guide you, but they're not supposed to be your friend. So we asked both parties to really take it seriously. The mentors pay for the program. They pay like $20. The mentees pay like $20 and the mentors, it's free. Don't do hard sells for the mentors because we believe that if you're going to be part of a program like this and if you're going to be part of a program like this and you obviously want to give back, you want to share your expertise, you want to share your wisdom. And so we don't want to go after people who aren't ready to do that. So we've been really fortunate to have approximately 20 to 25 mentors volunteer their time. And they've all been kind of across the board as far as like discipline and even level. I mean, we've had partners at firms, at big graphic design firms here in the area take part. We've had plethora of like of developers that have, you know, jumped in. We've had freelancers that, you know, have, you know, 10 years or more experience. Um, we, it's been all across the map and it's, it's been great. Everybody comes in ready to, you know, to dedicate their time. And, and then on the mentee front, it's the same thing. You know, they're just hungry. Um, a lot of them are raw. A lot of them need just simple etiquette skills first, but they're just as in- excited about the program as we are. And like I said, at the end, we have we have people present, a couple of people present as we learn about what they've been doing for the past four months, four, four and a half months. One year we had a team that decided to make a beer making app. Like they decided at the kickoff, this is what we want to do. We want to, you know, the mentee had no coding experience, but her mentor was a, a developer. And so she said, this is what I, you know, I want to learn this program and I, this is what I want to do. And he said, okay. And so they worked together for four solid months to make it happen. And they presented it at the finale, which was pretty awesome. I have this, I mean, it's like one of my favorite stories and it's one that I feel like I tell almost every year. And then we've had other ones where they have redesigned their portfolio, you know, taking it from being a, a straight a conventional portfolio to an online portfolio. Mm-hmm. So that meant designing a website and then putting the work up, editing the work, so on and so forth. And then we've also had one where, you know, the mentor and mentee, this is another one that I try to share with people is that the mentoring relationship is not always about the mentor talking the entire time. Right. It should be a give and take. And so this one partnership, we had a mentor who actually came from AIGA Chicago. 
she relocated here and started and launched her company, but she was new to the area and her mentee uh, grew up in the area and was just looking for, looking for guidance. And so they decided to meet at different bars in DC for their, during their mentoring experience. And in the course of doing that, because they both had an interest in screen printing and the mentee was experienced in screen printing, they met up at these bars, decided to redo the logo for the bar. And then the mentee taught the mentor how to screen print and they went and screen printed coasters of the bars that they went to and redesigned, if that makes any sense. So it was pretty impressive. And after they came up with this idea and then screen print them, they decided to give everybody at the finale a set of the coasters that they did. So, you know, when you have stuff like that and then they continue their relationship, like they're still fast friends, they're still really good friends now. But when you have projects like that, it just, it just, it just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy because I'm like, Oh, (laughs) matches have been made. Now that's not the case with every match. Right. But but there are a lot. There've been a lot of success stories, and I think it's all about like making sure that that you've expect you've provided them, you've set expectations for what the program is supposed to be and what they can get out of it, and giving them suggestions like that so they can, you know, hopefully raise the bar or craft it for for their needs, whatever their goals are. And we do ask them to set a goal that first night that they meet at the kickoff when they're meeting their mate because we think it's important to have a focus so that they can, you know, get through it because time goes by fast, one, and two, it's easy to get really distracted, especially when you have your own life or as people say, life happens. And so therefore, you you know, sometimes you fall off course. So that's mentoring. And then the Design Continuum Fund Scholarship, that's literally what it is. It's a scholarship that was started by our 2007 chapter president, along with, I think, 25 local designers. And the idea is that we are creating an endowment so that we can give scholarships on a regular basis to bigger or more scholarships on a regular basis or annually. Let me just say that, clean it up, to students attending university and colleges in the DMV area. And so far, we've had 11. We've given out 11 scholarships totaling, I believe, and don't quote me, $35,000. We've currently raised $85,000. Hopefully, we'll get to 100000 and we'll put that into an endowment. So actually, an endowment conversation is happening as we speak. <laughs> it's just, as anybody knows who has ever created an endowment, it takes time. It takes a lot of time yeah. and lawyers. So, Well, let's kind of switch gears here a little okay. bit. I know we've talked a lot about your work and, and your volunteer efforts, but I want to talk about just kind of you as a person. Do you feel like you're satisfied creatively? I'm never satisfied. <laughs> I feel like there's always more. I feel like I wish I had more time in a day, to tell you the truth. I feel like I can never get enough done. I feel like I do a lot of admin stuff, you know, a lot of forward thinking, but I, I would love to have like another six hours in the day just just to do fun stuff, just to do stuff that comes, that pops up in my head in the middle of the day. You know, a lot of, I want to do some hands-on stuff. I want to do some, I want to do a lot of crafting and I, it's hard to do during the week. It's hard to do, period with my schedule, but I wish that I had more time so I could be more creative. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Who do you look to for inspiration? I am all over the place, Maurice. I mean, when I say all over the place, I am all over the place. I'm on Instagram regularly. I'm on Twitter regularly, you know, just looking at different feeds. One of the people that I, I aspire to be like, but I hope to meet at some point is um, a woman by the name of Olivia Kim, 
who is the creative director of special projects at Nordstrom. She used to work at opening ceremony and she was, she's a creative force to be reckoned with. She's just brilliant. And it's just because I think I know one of the reasons why I, I love what she does and I covet what she does is because she, she has new projects all the time and she works with multiple brands and Nordstrom gave her the keys to the car to do pop-ups, you know, regular pop-ups and she can find, she has the opportunity to work with emerging brands, small brands, big brands, established brands. And so she's created these pop-ups that are in select Nordstrom stores that are all over the place, you know, like, like creatively, there are many installations. And I, that is so exciting to me. I like the idea of, of not working with the same tools all the time. Like I, I think mm-hmm. my dream job would be to do something that's diversified. I don't want to say every day, but like where my projects are short, but and impactful and fun and creative and pushing the envelope, but are with different personalities and different brands. And so I look at when I came across her, I thought, yeah, that's a dream job that I want. And she's a great person. I, th- I think she'd be a great person to meet and just kind of glean, you know, some insight into how to get there and what to do. But as far as like inspiration, really, I'm inspired by by a lot. Photos and nature. Yeah, I love to travel and, and I love traveling and, and checking out the, lo- the local tourism, the local landmarks. But then I also like offbeat ventures, too. I think creativity is everywhere. I mean, just patterns, just looking at patterns in, uh, in nature or just artwork like anything i'm inspired by everything i don't have one place yeah i like what you're doing on instagram with the the numerical type project (laughs) yes that's really fun i really like that oh thanks how long do you think you're going to keep that going because you're like in the 330s or something yeah so i had a moment and i totally skipped (laughs) i i don't know how i did this i don't know i was clearly distracted but i skipped 331 to 339 i just I got finished with 229 and all of a sudden I was in 40 and I was like, what the mm-hmm. hell? So I had to go back to 331. I don't know how long it's going to be. It started off last February. I was feeling creatively stifled. I was hungry for something completely different than what I do during the day and in the mornings. And so I figured, I just was looking around and I thought, you know what? I'm going to create a numbers project. It was completely random. I had some Rolos. They were Valentine's Day rollers, so they were like red and pink. And I said, I'm just going to start right here, right now. And it just happened to be February 1st. And I started and, and thought, okay, I'm going to do this for a month. And so I just started finding found, found objects and then started, you know, just started to craft. And then I got to the end and I was like, well, am I done? This is fun. No, I'm going to keep going. And so then I just kept going. I thought, well, maybe I'll just stop at 50. And then I got to 50 and I was like, Psh. There's so much more. I could see numbers in anything, right? You know, I mean, Mm because it's not just, it's not just like, it's not like getting a hundred of the same item and creating a number. It's not just that. Some of them is actually like looking at something and seeing that there's a number in it. So like in the very beginning, I felt like because I was in a single digit, it was much easier (laughs) to like to find a number, right? So I remember sitting at my desk and I looked over at a stack of magazines and I was like, I think there's a three there. And so I went back and, I mean, I looked a little bit, I looked at it, stared at it, and I thought, you know what, if I just push these magazines inward a little bit, I think the negative space is going to create a three. And boom, there it was, you know. Or like I had a stack of post-its and they were like on my desk. And I remember coming across something in a presentation, a mentoring presentation with a designer who was showcasing an album cover and they had used post-its as part of the cover. And I thought, you know what, I got all these post-its here. I think I can do it too, you know. So I let my mind just 
just go, you know, I just opened it up and said, okay, what can I do here? How can I create something new out of something that's found that's, that's right here in my space? And it just went from there. So when I got to 50, I just thought, I can't stop here. I'm going to go to a hundred. And I just kept going and going and going. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll stop at 365. And I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. It's been fun though. And it's been fun working with just different mediums. And I think some of my favorite artists, and I shouldn't say that, but I think some of my favorite artists, my top 10 artists, I use found objects, I would say. And so that's, uh, you know, I feel like that is part of my aesthetic. And I don't know when it's going to stop. But it's been fun. I'm glad people like it. Yeah, I think it's just really kind of inventive. It's a nice, I mean, Instagram is just always a nice medium for that kind of stuff because it's super visual. I like you have sort of the nice colors in the background. And it, it also teaches you to look at non-traditional objects mm-hmm. in sort of a designer sort of way it's pretty neat yeah i like it i think that's the other thing there's design is everywhere and i'm stimulated by so much and i think this is that project is in a is a a a testament to the way i think i'm all over the place and i think my project that project definitely showcases that because i'm not using the same medium all the time i do like color i love textiles i love texture i love patterns i love prints and i think that this project like touches on almost all of that. But I do try to keep a color, when I don't have a good background, I do try to keep like construction paper around so that I can just have that as a backdrop. The crazy thing is a lot of the stuff takes place like literally on a piece of construction paper. It's small, you know? So Mm -hmm. some nights I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? What can fit on this construction paper? Because my house, it's pretty neutral and kind of um, earthy in color. Mm. And so I I don't have a lot of pop, so... Um, I keep this construction paper around for for that, but I, I'm always thinking, okay, what can be, what can I fold up, craft, turn around, angle, so that it resonates on an eight by ten piece of paper. Nice, mm-hmm. it's a really, really creative project. I like that. Thanks. What advice would you give to someone? Again, since you do so much mentoring and you're out there in the community, what advice would you give to someone that wants to sort of follow in your footsteps and do? the kind of work that you do. And when I say that, I mean, you know, of course, publication design, but also just, you know, this feeling of service to the community. What would you tell them? I would say get involved in your local, in a local organization. I speak very highly of my chapter, of my of the AIGA DC chapter, because I think that we are doing robust things. I think we are always doing something, and I think we're always trying to cater to our very diverse demographic. And so I think if you're in the DC area, then definitely be involved with AIGA DC. If you're not, in the D.C. area, then I would say any organization that speaks to your interests, right? Whether that is, you know, whether it's a design organization or a nonprofit that caters to caregiving or to uh, zoology, whatever it is, like, I feel like, you know, look for that organization to align yourself with and, and just get out there and just do it. I think the hard thing is people overthink things. I mean, people tend to overthink things and they're wait for, they wait for that moment. And I feel like time goes by so fast. You can't wait. Just do it, you know? And I think if you are interested in a variety of different things, I I say pick one at first, you know, just to get started and then just start to Mm -hmm. branch off. I mean, part of the reason why I burn the candle at both ends doing so much is because I'm interested in both. And I'm hoping one day I'll be able to combine those areas of interest, which is another reason why people like Olivia Kim kind of jump out at me because though I don't know a lot about her philanthropic work, I know that her love of design and her, her love for design and her passion for exhibits and installations are things are two things that I'm very much interested in. 
And so with my day job being a publication, but then my side hustle being Windows at Gap, it's, you know, it, that's, that brings in like the, the installation, the exhibit part. I love that she brought both of those together and is doing something that she loves. So I would say for, for anybody else, you know, if you have a couple of passions, you know, pick one and start working with that. And then when you're comfortable enough to be able to sustain that, then, then try another one, do another one on the side. And then when it comes to like, you know, philanthropic work, again, I think just jump in it and do it. I mean, philanthropic work and giving back is so, it's, it's rewarding at the end of the day, you know, but I wouldn't strong arm yourself into doing, like I wouldn't pressure, I, I, if you feel bad doing it, then maybe it's not time. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I don't think people should feel guilty about giving back. You give back when you can. So if, if right now is not a good time, then wait, you know, wait a year, you know, wait a couple of years. If you can't give back by, by volunteering your, your time, then volunteer with your money. If you have the kind of, if you have the, the means to be able to write a check, then do that. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's all about you. You can't let other people, you know, put you into a box or it'll drive you crazy. So I say just, just do it all. One thing I forgot to ask you about, I'm glad you brought that back up, was uh, the window installations. (laughs) How did that become your side hustle? One day I, well, I came across Anthropology. The store, store, I should say, right? The store. Yeah. yeah. And uh, actually, let me back up. I've been with Gap Inc. for 16 years. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> it was my foundation as I as I um, moved around from newspaper to newspaper mm-hmm. as an intern. And then when I got into my professional c- career, I just loved I love the brand so much. I could not I couldn't let them go. So I have in my closet have a ton of like archival pieces. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like, I mean, it runs deep. Gap Blood runs deep with me. And that is actually a brand that I would just put it out there that I would love to work with at the corporate level doing art direction. Just, just I'm putting it out there in case anybody happens to be listening. Uh, but seriously, so I've been with the company for a while and I did a little bit of everything, you know, from, you know, the general sales, greeting, overnights, uh, doing stock and also doing some visual stuff. And the first I would say the first probably 10 years, I did not get involved in visuals. They preferred, they thought that I was great as a stylist and they thought that I was great as a salesperson. And my passion though, I could tell as I, when I would go in to to any of the stores that I worked with, I could tell I was gravitating towards like something more hands-on, the visual side. And so finally, after, I think it was probably about 10 years, I made that switch to visual. While I was switching to the visual team at Gap, I was also taking classes with Parsons and was doing some case studies on anthropology, the store, and realized, oh my gosh, anthropology has an a in-house visual team and their visual team is very hands-on and very tactile and very crafty. And I think that might be something that I'm kind of interested in. So I worked a gap a little bit, right? I'm burning, now I'm really burning the candles at, at both ends. Worked a gap a little for a little bit. At the same time, I took an internship with a local anthropology store to fulfill a credit for a class. And I worked as a visual display associate. And so in that time that, that during the internship, I mean, I was, it was hands-on. It was getting on that 20 foot ladder and drilling into the ceiling. It was, you know, cutting out 10,000 and I, it feels like 10,000 foil circles and then stringing them on, you know, string with a hot glue gun. Like it was everything. It was dyeing muslin and, you know, and sewing it together and to create a teepee. Like it was all kind of crazy stuff and it was all great. I think I wanted, I think I want to do this, but I realized, though, working with anthropology, that 
I'm not a super strong craftsman. And so I was started getting stressed out and I thought, Oh, Mm. this is way like as great as it is. And and as cool as the environment is, I myself didn't feel uh, like comfortable doing it regularly. So I finished up the internship and then, and then decided, okay, let me really focus on gap because their aesthetic is different. And let me see how that is going to play out. And so I switched my attention back to gap and my general manager said, hey, why don't we not just have you do, do styling at the Gap, let's have you do windows. And so she said, we're going to change your focus. You're just going to do windows. And the, like I said, the windows aesthetic and the anthropology aesthetic are totally different. You know, um, just the way the parts come in, the way you source materials, the way you do the installs, the time, the day that you do it, it's, it's very much different. So I felt like that was a little bit easier to, uh, to handle. And I felt way more comfortable doing that. And again, it was mainly because I didn't have the carpentry skills and some of the crafting that anthropology requests. I was glad they brought me on, but I wasn't 100% comfortable. So with Gap, I am comfortable. (laughs) And so from 4 to 9 a.m., 4 a.m. to 9 a.m., a couple of times during the week as needed, I go in and install windows and then do some internal installations with them. And it's been very rewarding. I'm learning a lot, but I'm not as stressed as I was with anthropology. And while I love anthropology and I think they do amazing work, I think that in order to be really successful with them in stores, you, you got you have to have a certain skill set. And, um, and I just didn't have it. Where do you see yourself in like the next five years or so? Because my God, <laughs> you are working on so much stuff. I mean, I mean that in the, in the best possible way, the volunteering the work with AARP, the the window treatments and things. Where do you see yourself? Like, what's Diane doing in, let's say, 2021? What's she working on? She is hopefully still doing art direction, doing some collabs. I would love to collab with other creatives. I want to do some jewelry design. I have a friend actually here in D.C. who is amazing, an amazing photographer. And we have partnered up on some gigs in the past. We are looking to, I know we are, we are seriously considering launching a business <laughs> together, which means I'm going to have to scale back one of those side hustles. But we want to do like styling and photography. So I would say in five years, I hope to have more collaborations in, in my bag. But I hope to also have this partnership with her doing styling and photography. If I could be married with a greyhound, that would be awesome. And I'm seriously considering down the road, and I don't know when this is coming, I don't know if it'll be in five years, but I would like to go back to my alma mater and teach a little bit. That might be more of a 10-year or 15-year plan, but I really want to go back to Florida A&M and, and be a professor or a teacher. Okay. Yeah. That's, a good, that's a good plan. Yeah. It's a really good plan. <laughs> yeah. Well, just to kind of wrap everything up, I know we've talked for a while here, but where can our audience find out more about you online? Where can they follow your work? Give us some links. Where can we find you? Okay, so you can go to dianeholton.com for my website or portfolio. That will take you to all the other um, links uh, to all my other activity if you just want to see it all under the contact part. But dianeholton.com. And then on Instagram and Twitter, it's easy, at Diane Holton. And my name is D-I-A-N, no E. So D-I-A-N-H-O-L-T-O-N. And that goes to my website, my Instagram, and Twitter. I also have a blog that gets updated periodically <laughs> when I have time. And that's Atlas and Shadow at blogspot.com. But you can find all of that through um, dianeholton.com. All right. That sounds good. Well, Diane, thank you so much 
for taking time out of your day for speaking with me. Really, I mean, wow. I'm blown away by how much that you accomplish just in terms of the breadth of the work through AARP. And then at night, you're like this design superhero that, no. that puts together <laughs> these window. No, I'm serious. Like from four to nine, you do that. And then also you do all this great stuff out in the community. I mean, if the DC design community has not allowed me to, I mean, I'm not in DC, but certainly allowed me to say thank you for your work. Thank you for your service. <laughs> thank you just for being, I think being the embodiment of what being a good designer is about, which is is taking your talent and using it for as many things as you can. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Maurice. It's just, It's been great. It's, it's been hard. And it is hard. I mean, I don't want people to think that all of this is easy. It is not. But I believe, you know, I believe in uh, in doing what what you love. And I love all of these things, which is why I have not been able to pair them back. <laughs> Unfortunately, it does take a toll in numerous, you know, areas. But I think I've been. I can imagine. To, yeah. Yeah. It's it can be hard sometimes. It can be hard on you know relationships, especially when you know you are working and you know, most people stop at some point. And I feel like if I, if I, if I'm in a rhythm and I heard you say this earlier in another conversation, when you're in a rhythm, it's hard to like stop and, you know, switch gears. Like you want to finish that out. Right. So I believe in that. And so when it is like 10 o'clock at night and I'm still going, I just, I just keep going because Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm going to catch that rhythm again, you know, then I'm going to have it, have it again the next day. So, um, but I also believe in being an ambassador for the African-American design community because there's very few of us I know in publication, it is, there's only a fraction of us that comes up in conversation all the time. And so I want to make sure that I'm being the best that I can be. And that's not just an army slogan, but I want to be the best that I can be so that anybody who is, who looks like me can see themselves and hopefully aspire and be better and more. And I love promoting, you know, promoting other designers that are great and that are talented and have passion no matter what their race is. So I don't know. I take what I do very seriously and I hope that I hope that people appreciate it and are inspired. I think they will be. <laughs> I really do. Again, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Thoughts of love are in and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Diane Holton and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Diane and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, and Hover. Facebook Design works on an enormous and diverse range of interesting problems. No one designs at scale quite like Facebook does, and that scale is only matched by their commitment to giving back to the design community. Learn more about designing at Facebook at medium.com forward slash Facebook dash design. When it comes out to email marketing, MailChimp makes it extremely simple. They have great in-depth reporting, new and improved autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contract and no credit card required. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domain. Search for a few keywords and Hover will show you the best available options across all the domain extensions out there. Ready to get started? Save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code REVISIONPATH at checkout. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro audio by Yellow Speaker. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us get new listeners, and I'll even read your review right here on the show. 
Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. If you like the work Revision Path is doing with the podcast and the website, then visit us over at Patreon and consider becoming a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge level started just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.